The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box. U.S. stocks hit fresh record highs on hopes of more stimulus as investors look ahead to a Democratic-controlled Congress. Meanwhile, President Trump appears to accept defeat for the first time, promising an orderly transition of power in the aftermath of the deadly siege on Capitol Hill. A new administration will be inaugurated on January 20th. My focus now turns to ensuring a smooth, orderly, and seamless transition of power. Tech titans apparently turning to autos as the Chinese search giant Baidu teams up with Geely to create an electric car company. And Hyundai and Apple start talks on their own EV tire. Class, Elon Musk becomes the richest man in the world. How much do you reckon? Yeah, apparently he's worth upwards of $185 billion as Tesla's Meteoric share price rise continues, overtaking Facebook as the S&P's fifth most valuable company. Pfizer's scientists say the drug maker's vaccine appears to be effective against a number of new highly infectious COVID variants, boosting the push towards global immunity. So uh, welcome to the wall. We're going to have a look at the uh, markets here because I think after everything that happened over the last 48 hours, a sense of calm has returned to financial markets. And I think it's just worth refocusing on how we may close out this week, given Monday was such a difficult day for everybody long the trade and it raised some interesting questions about valuations and it raised some interesting questions about momentum here but when you look at what happened through the session yesterday you begin to ask yourself actually whether monday was a head faint um i would disagree with one thing you said then good morning to you lovely mm, to you good morning. Oh, yeah. god we've almost i say people uh-huh. get to friday morning and say we got there but yeah. i never considered we got there till we finished our working day Absolutely. so um we're nearly there um, you're nearly there, ladies and gentlemen. Good morning to you. I would disagree. You said the markets had a return to calm. Well, mm. after everything we've seen over the last 48 hours, I, I don't think that markets were never not calm, apart from mm. at that point you mentioned on Monday where we were down 700 points on the Dow. I think that was the only point of panic mm. out, th- out of the you know, four and a half other Dow, three and a half other days it is in the States. So I think the rest of it's been very calm and very glacial, in fact, to the upside. In fact, mm. very interesting. And, and I'm surprised when I look at the week-to-date stats. We get amazing stats from our brilliant team who put this stuff together. I was surprised at how little the Dow has rallied this week. Because as I say, apart from that 700 points down, it closed down 300 odd points, 1.35% off the top of my mind on, on Monday. You've had very solid performances the rest of the week. And actually, the Dow for the week is actually only up 1.4%. The S&P is up 1.5%. The Nasdaq, I think, is fascinating as well, Jeff, because, as well, in fact, I'm really glad what I said this time yesterday at the wall, because it, what I said this time yesterday at the wall is 
It's smarter people than me who have tried to call the top of the tech market, who are now calling this rotation. I said, well, just be careful. And again, I wasn't calling the market. I was just saying, be careful on your tech story because actually um, it can come back with a, a vengeance as well. And look at that. Look, within the session, we rallied 326 points. So yet again, for all of this talk about value and value returning, and I will get to the Russell 2K as well, which has proved uh, a real font of value this week as well. The Nasdaq's actually outperformed the Dow and the S&P by <coughs> over 1%, which I think is very interesting. There is no doubt about it, though, people looking at the cross broad section and, and, and actually the Russell 2K. Mm. What do you think Russell's done this week? 6.2%, matched only by the mighty FTSE 100, which has also done 6.2%, yes. which is extraordinary. I never thought I'd say that in the same breath. But anyway, let's have a look at technology stocks because they were raging yesterday, as we, uh, as we mentioned uh, with Tesla as well. So you've got Apple up 3.4%, Microsoft up 3% as well. Um, where else was the real action for you? Twitter's down 1.7%. And I... I uh, I don't want to make clumsy associations, but I'm going to make a clumsy association. Twitter closed the president's account down for 12 hours yesterday. Uh, and I noticed when I looked in this morning, of course, he's back. There's a video about looking and doing an impression of someone being presidential but long last yeah. uh, about some form of apparent concession. We can talk about that later on as well. But Twitter was down 1.75%. And again, I'm sure there were lots of nuances going on in the market as well. But without President Trump, as president of the United States, although we still call him president, as we do with past presidents as well. Mm. Will there be such activity on Twitter as well? You won't get the same amount of activity from the Biden administration. So is there a political shift going on that will actually have ramifications for Twitter going forward? I don't know. I just thought I'd chuck that one out there for you as well. Let's have a look at US banks. They were pretty good as well yesterday. Goldman Sachs is 40 <laughs> points of that move to the upside we saw in the Dow. 2.13% higher there as well. So that was partly to do with the fact that, again, this calm that Jeff's talking about in the equity markets, well, it's a risk on trade, isn't it? So with that as well, we've got the treasuries. Oh, it's you. Yes, yes. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I didn't wonder right. why you were actually up here you today. You carry on, you carry on. I just, um, you know. It's because they were getting the better margin from treasures, yes. maybe. I, don't, I had no idea why you were up here. I thought you were just here to say hello. Well, you know, I just like to <laughs> hang out with you. We don't, we don't get to the bar so often so these sorry. days. I genuinely thought, why have the producers put you up here just to say hello? But, um, but it'd be interesting just to, while I have a look at the treasuries here, you know, oh, we, we're it? talking about the level of uh, discomfort for investors as they're buying the risk on. Maybe they can just prep the VIX and you can have a look at the VIX because I know you're very interested in looking at the VIX but it's quite I think it's quite interesting where the VIX currently sits given how well, much money has gone back into the yesterday I don't know what it did in yesterday's session I didn't well we'll, we'll find out It'd be fascinating won't it be fascinating <laughs> you've oh, lost, you've lost. What, what's that <laughs> what's going on here okay you've lost, all right, you've, I on. told you there was no reason to be this, this, is, so going, the VIX this is going yesterday. really well isn't it we'll do go this on, again do in an hour's time you fine. no you carry on you carry on no 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 I'll tell you what we'll do you come over and we'll do a socially distanced look at the VIX all right why were you interested in yesterday's action so why I'm interested is because I want to know just how much tension there is in the underlying market activity. And I think, I know we talk about the VIX a lot and we debate what its relevance is to current market action. But I think it's a quite useful way of gauging just how, <clears throat> how much stress there actually is in the trade. Mm -hmm. So you can, you can tell that 
actually, uh, in terms of the risk on activity, there was there was a re-embracing of the risk trade through the end of the week here. And I think there was a big sigh of relief about how some of the political pieces are falling into place in the United States. And the fact that President Trump ultimately did go onto Twitter. And while he didn't say, I concede the election result, no, he, he said, the next government, we'll he? have a smooth transition of power. But yeah. as you point out here, this is... Um, this has been re- relatively elevated through uh, recent history here, and we've had some small peaks, as I think investors have had another think about how committed they are to the full risk on trade coming into the end yeah. of the year and the early part of 2021. And I think this bears close watching because the Treasury market is also s- s- showing some evidence that there maybe is a, a-, a desire here to try to reprice rising inflation on the back of that growth story and of course the the message that we got from now that well, we've like, got we're like this we're attached by a piece of band aren't we i'll come over as well uh you're you're roped to me <laughs> yeah. which means we both fall together if we fall not necessarily if i fall on the other side of the the, the peak the yeah, ridge you might we might hang but the but the message uh, that's coming out of the bond market which of course is very important and we must focus on what's going on in in particular with this 10-year yield because that reflects the market's expectation of where interest rates are going, where inflation's going, where ultimately the Fed may be dragged. And the fact that we're back up solidly through this 1% mark, maybe just a reminder here that the market is contemplating how much fiscal stimulus there will be from the new US administration and whether ultimately that means that we're going to get some um, some inflationary pressure and also maybe some um, squeeze on the availability of uh, liquidity here. Uh, let's just round it out with a look at the dollar because again I think the dollar was very interesting here and <clears throat> as you try to figure out what the broader trend is going to be through the full year, you have to keep an eye on the dollar here because a lot of people are repricing emerging markets on the expectation that the dollar only goes down. But the greenback's not making it easy for you at this point. And of course, every time we have one of those tremors, whether it's geopolitical, whether it's oil market related, whether it looks like a headwind for the risk on trade, then we see people finding their way back into the greenback as a a little bit of a haven of uh, safety. So, so, you know, to come back, Steve, to, to the conversation we were having up here, I think it's just interesting that we've We've continued, you know, we, we've had this tilting of windmills over the last two or three years here. We all thought the bond yields were going higher, or at least the bond experts did. So they told you, sell off your bonds. Now's the time we're going to see the yield spike. It didn't actually happen, in spite of them calling for it several times. Buy value. It's the big opportunity in 2020. It didn't really happen until we got to the latter part of the year where people started to think, well, is it time to make that cyclical switch? So we've had a lot of calls on taking big decisions on rotation that ultimately have not borne fruit. And this time round, as you point to that big, big rush back into the tech stocks here, will 2021 turn out to be another one of those years where actually the big call to rotate into value and cyclical doesn't turn out to be the big call it should be. Again, everything you just said is perfect. I'm just going to disagree with you once again about one Mm. thing. You said uh, telling us to sell bonds over the last couple of years. When And I do this game with you about once a half a year. When do you think Goldman Sachs' call to sell bonds and buy equities was? 
The long goodbye for yeah. bonds, the long goodbye BUY for equities. Go on. 2012. It's a long time ago now. Nine isn't years it? ago now. It's a long time anyway, ago we've got now. We've breaking news. So let's uh, get to the third leg of our three legged stool, who's been waiting patiently. And here she is, Karen Chay. Good morning to you, Karen. You've got some banking news. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Jeff. You talk about uh, 2012 there. Let me take you back a little bit further as we deal with some breaking news from Credit Suisse this morning. Uh, they're talking about some legacy issues right back from 2009. That's right, the last financial crisis. And as we talk about all the effects that are playing out in this pandemic and this financial crisis, we're, we're talking about the economic crisis. We're talking about the past here with Credit Suisse saying it will now produce a, a net loss in the fourth quarter because of what it will uh, present in the form of uh, an increase in provisions for this MB. I, okay, so this is a. Well, I didn't last. I'm gonna. <laughs> no, no. Is she back? Never mind. We, no, we lost. Anyway, that. so so the underlying message then: Credit Suisse expected to report a net loss in the fourth quarter off the back of that story. Um, have we got Karen back? No. All right. Well, let's press ahead here. Capital Police have confirmed that one officer has died as a result of injuries sustained during Wednesday's riots in Washington. A spokeswoman said Officer Brian Sicknick physically engaged with the mob. An investigation into his death will be launched. Uh, Vice President Mike Pence is opposed to calls from Democrats and some Republicans to remove President Trump from office by invoking the 25th Amendment, according to multiple reports. The amendment would require Pence and Trump's cabinet to agree that the U.S. leader is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer and House Majority Leader Nancy Pelosi have led the calls. In calling for this seditious act, the president has committed an unspeakable assault on our nation and our people. I join the Senate Democratic leader in calling on the vice president to remove this president by immediately invoking the 25th Amendment. If the vice president and cabinet do not act, the Congress may be prepared to move forward with impeachment. That is the overwhelming sentiment of my caucus. The president, Mr. Trump, has for the first time acknowledged that President-elect Biden will officially become president on January 20th. Trump conceded the race in a video tw- uh, posted on Twitter saying tempers must be called. I continue to strongly believe that we must reform our election laws to verify the identity and eligibility of all voters and to ensure faith and confidence in all future elections. Now Congress has certified the results. A new administration will be inaugurated on January 20th. My focus now turns to ensuring a smooth, orderly, and seamless transition of power. President Trump, well, several White House officials have announced their resignations following the violence, including cabinet members, Transportation Secretary Elaine Chao and Education Secretary Betsy DeVos. Uh, Trump's Deputy National Security Advisor and Deputy Press Secretary have also stepped down, along with former Chief of Staff and current Special Envoy to Northern Ireland, uh, Mick Mulvaney. Speaking to CNBC, Mulvaney said he couldn't stay in the role after the riots. I called Mike Pompeo last night, let him know, let him tell him that I'd be resigning from that. I just, I, I can't, I can't do it. I can't stay. It's a, it's a nothing thing. It doesn't affect the outcome. It doesn't affect the transition, but it's, it's what I've got. Right. And it's a position I really enjoy doing, but you can't do it. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see more of my, uh, my friends, 
um, resign over the course of the next uh, 24 to 48 hours. It would be completely understandable uh, if they did. If those of those who, who choose to stay, and I have talked to a couple of them, are choosing to stay because they are concerned that the president might put someone in to replace them that could make things even worse. So uh, I, I don't, I'm not condemning those who, who, uh, who choose not to resign. I understand that. Uh, but I can't stay here. I, I, not after yesterday. You can't look at that yesterday and think I want to be a part of that in any way, shape or form. Mick Mulvaney there on his resignation. Barbara Perry joins us, Director of Presidential Studies at the University of Virginia's Miller Center. Uh, welcome to our program this morning, Professor. Can I just start by asking you, um, is there much prospect, do you think, of the 25th Amendment actually being used in this situation? I think there's very little prospect of it being used, uh, particularly since it needs to start, that process would need to start from the vice president, Mike Pence, uh, and except for uh, his creating and fulfilling his ministerial duty uh, yesterday uh, or in the wee hours of yesterday uh, to certify uh, the election, uh, he's never shown any opportunity or taken any opportunity to stand up to this president. So. Uh, I can't see it happening. Uh, I also can't see a majority of the cabinet. Uh, and it doesn't have to be unanimous among the cabinet, but it does have to be a majority of the president's cabinet would also have to vote uh, to remove the president. So I don't see that happening in the next 12 to 13 days. Professor, uh, just a day or so ago, Joe Biden used the term words matter uh, when he condemned the action taken on Capitol Hill by these rioters. We had... Uh, President Trump uh, with this new video where he said, I want to see a smooth transition of power. But we've been having quite a debate in the office about whether that was actually a concession of his loss rather than just an acknowledgement that uh, he will no longer be president. In, in this case, do you think the words that he's used in this latest release matter? And will they continue to encourage his supporters to disavow the election result? I think the latter, uh, and that is you had in your clip the portion in which he said he will continue to work to try to uh, ensure the, the honesty and integrity of the American election system. Well, that says to me that he doesn't believe that this current system uh, is filled with honesty and integrity. Uh, and yet he had also said back uh, in 2016 that that election would be rigged because I don't think he thought he would win. Uh, so it's just clear that that's part of the big lie, the part of the propaganda, the part of the demagoguery of the Trump presidency, I'm, I'm sad to say. So I don't consider it a concession speech. It's merely a report of a fact, which is at least finally he is saying to his people and to the rest of the world that come January 20th, there will be a new administration. But uh, it's, it's a bit of, uh, uh, I think, too little too late to say within 13 days of that date that now he's going to ensure a smooth transition uh, when he's done everything since the election and since Joe Biden was declared the winner by all media here several days after the election, uh, that uh, he's been trying to thwart a smooth transition of power and indeed thwart Joe Biden from becoming president. Barbara, there's so many I can't believe from yesterday as well. But one is I can't believe the disgraceful scenes, not only in Congress, but of course, after uh, the disruption from the likes of the senator from Texas and the senator from Missouri. I just can't believe how they put their self-interest before the greater good. But also two thirds of the members of the House as well from the Republican side. Again, quite extraordinary how they still managed to vote. 
um, the way they did as well. You're, you're an expert on Mitch McConnell as well. Has he got any hope of keeping this party together? No, uh, in a word, he, he does not. And it wouldn't be the first time that American political parties, which have uh, often been uh, amalgams of many different kinds of people from all different parts of the country. You think of the Democrats uh, back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, uh, where you had Southern Democrats who were white sympathize, white uh, supremacist, uh, segregationist, and then you had liberals from the Midwest and the Northeast, also in the Democratic Party. So we're so used to our parties now being so polarized and monolithic uh, that it seems odd that this would be the case, but the party is clearly split. And uh, I'm not sure that there's anybody right now who can unify the Republicans. Do you think that, um, I mean, I'm just looking back at history as well now as well. Do you think that actually President Biden, President-elect Biden going forward, is going to want any form of um, justice uh, against those who committed these crimes yesterday as well in terms of the protests as well? It just seems to me that it would make them cause celebras for the alt-right, for the QAnon, uh, for the hard right of the US political establishment. Well, do you think that justice will be served or do you think actually the president just needs, the new president will just need to move on and just doesn't want this hanging over his presidency? Well, I, I think your penultimate point was correct, that, that it would turn these people into uh, heroes. Uh, we already know that they've taken to social media to create uh, heroic pictures of themselves and uh, brag about what they did. Uh, so it doesn't really matter uh, whether justice is uh, sought or not. Uh, my view is, since we say that in this country we have a government of laws and not of men and that we believe in the rule of law, uh, I believe that the next administration, led by President uh, soon to be President Biden, and I think the new Attorney General Merrick Garland, currently uh, a very high-ranking uh, judge in the federal system here, almost someone who went to the Supreme Court if had been blocked by Mitch McConnell. Uh, I think they will work together to find justice uh, for those um, who engaged in in that insurrection uh, and seditious activity and and riotous behavior at the Capitol. And by the way, and for the the ex president of the United States. Right. I want to ask you a little bit more about what lies ahead now for the Biden presidency, because there's been some debate about uh, the events of this week now shaping the presidency, that uh, potential opposition that the Republicans may have presented may have dimmed to an extent, and you might see more cross-party support now under the Biden administration. What do you make of that? Do you think uh, that's a bit of a knee-jerk reaction at this stage uh, that's been debated in the press, or is it possible that there will be more consensus on the Hill? Well, I, I just read uh, in, in the New York Times, I, I think, a very wise point uh, on two, two points, and that was that uh, nothing joins parties together in bipartisanship than uh, cowering on the floor or cowering in an undisclosed location from the mob rampaging through the halls of, of Congress and, and including into the chambers uh, of the House and the Senate, but that the New York Times piece went on to say this may be short-lived. Um, I, I'm hoping that it is the former, that it is uh, bipartisanship, that now time has come uh, for that. Uh, but it's just hard to say in this polarized environment of the United States right now uh, how long that will last. I'm hoping that without Donald Trump in the White House and without him on the scene every day in that position of power, uh, that there can be some bipartisanship as a reach back to days of old when Republicans and Democrats could find common ground and could work together. 
A good point you raise about the short versus long term. So let's just talk short term then in terms of the stimulus. That's what the market's been looking for, another third round of support for the economy. How likely is that going to be and what would you expect any package to look like in coming months? Well, I think there will be one. I, I think certainly President Biden uh, will attempt to, to move forward with that. Uh, the fact that he has narrow, albeit uh, a majority uh, or at least a tie uh, in the Senate, but with Kamala Harris being able to break that tie may even get some some Republicans to join in. So I think there will be another stimulus package coming down the road. And then I also think that a help to the economy would be uh, the long-awaited infrastructure uh, bill that the Trump administration had said for four years it was going to push towards, but it did not. Um, I, I think you'll see that coming out of the Democratic administration, and I think that could get through Congress as well. Barbara, thank you so much for joining us today on the program. Barbara Perry, Director of Presidential Studies, University of Virginia's Miller Center, with us today. Well, coming up on this show, we're going to talk about uh, the all-important vaccines as uh, Pfizer on study finds uh, its jab is effective against new variants of the virus. We're going to give you the latest national vaccine rollouts right after the break. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Welcome back. COVID-19 restrictions in France will remain tight until at least February as the government attempts to ramp up its vaccine rollout. The Prime Minister Jean Castex announced the national curfew will remain in place this month and the border with the United Kingdom remains shut until at least February. I think that needs a little bit of clarification. Of course, the transportation of goods and services can continue between the two. Although, funnily enough, anecdotally, one of my friends who's in industry yesterday mm. did say to me the logistics between the continent and the UK at the moment remain appalling. Uh, French health authorities have also approved a six-week window between administering vaccine doses. French sanitary authorities have approved an important principle making possible, and without any risk and without losing any efficiency, to space out the second shot of the Pfizer vaccine, what we call a vaccine booster, until six weeks instead of three. This enables us to have more doses available right away. In total, we have 1,046,000 doses of the Pfizer vaccine, minus those which have already been injected. And each week, we will receive 500,000 extra doses of this vaccine until the end of February. You've got 1.5 million people already vaccinated in the United Kingdom, but they've now got to wait up to 12 weeks for their second jab in order to allow more people to receive their initial dose. The Prime Minister Boris Johnson insisted the government is on track to hit its target of 14 million inoculations by mid-February. If all goes well, these together should have the capacity to deliver hundreds of thousands of vaccines per day by January the 15th. And it is our plan that everyone should have a vaccination available within a radius of 10 miles. And it follows from that that the limits will not be on 
our distributional power, but on the supply of vaccines. And I have no doubt that we have enough supply to vaccinate these four groups by the February the 15th deadline. Boris Johnson. Well, Pfizer and BioNTech's COVID-19 vaccine has been found to be effective against the new variants of the virus, which have been discovered in the UK and South Africa. This according to a study run by the US drug maker, which has yet to be peer-reviewed. Moderna is reportedly also testing its injection against the variants in the next few weeks. Um, we haven't got time to chat now, but isn't it extraordinary that Apple's still searching for their vehicle? How many years ago did we talk about their Apple's electric vehicle and their tests they were doing mm. around their, their campus and what have you? Mm. And it hasn't happened. Oh, yeah. No, OK. Well, they've <laughs> got a lot of money to spend on it, haven't they? They've got a couple of quid to spend, yeah. and they've got a little bit yeah. of cash flow. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.